This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for May 19, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 8 through 17 and 25 through 27. The message is by Father Ron Baird. That means it's the very last day of Easter. Um, so you can pack up your rabbits and all that stuff after day and, and, and ship them off till next year. But it's also sort of the accumulation of this great salvation story that began back at Christmas time when God became flesh and lived among us. And that we lived through, as we went through um, Lent and we um, heard the temptations and the ministry and the stories of the power of God in him. And then as we got to Holy Week and we uh, heard the great story of salvation where Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world and of the resurrection where he conquered death forever. And of the ascension, which was just 10 days ago, where he ascended with human nature itself into the Godhead to be one with God. And now we come to Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you remember it, when Jesus ascended, he told his disciples to go and wait because he would be sending another, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who would guide them and lead them. And so that's what they've been doing. They've been still hiding out. They're still afraid. Because, you know, they're afraid that if they are associated with Jesus, that they will suffer the same fate he had, that they'll be crucified or killed in some way. And, and so they're still in hiding. And it was in the morning, on Pentecost morning, and then suddenly it says, a violent wind, rushing wind blew through the room. Now that would be startling anytime, particularly if you're in a locked room. But... The way it's described, it's almost as you can almost picture that things are blowing off the table. And I mean, something powerful is happening. It's a reminder of the, the, what Jesus told us, that the Spirit blows where it will. You do not know where it comes from, nor do you know where it goes. And then it says that something like tongues of fire fell upon them. Now, oftentimes when we think of tongues of fire, we think of something like a candle, which is fairly stationary. But in, uh, if a house is on fire or something, it has beams in it. Sometimes those beams, the, the liquid part of the, the wood, the, the oil out of it will drip, and the fire itself will fall like rain on top of it. And that, it's, that's the image that Luke is trying to tell us about in Acts today is that it was like tongues of fire dripping upon them. So why is he using that illustration? Well, one thing that happens if you have tongues of fire dropping on you is what? You what? Well, you move, don't you? You're going to stay there because it would certainly compel you to do something. and, And so they too are compelled to do something. And it says that they went out of the house for the first time and into the street, and they start proclaiming to everybody the good news of what God has done in Christ. And they're telling everybody about how this Jesus who was crucified died for the sins of the world and was raised from the dead and now reigns in heaven. And the most amazing part about it is that they were so excited about it that the people there thought they were drunk. Now, they didn't just think they were drunk. They thought they were drunk on new wine. So basically, they thought they were drunk on Boone's Farm or Bad Dog 2020 or something. I mean, they're drunk on cheap wine. And then the excuse that Peter gives is, well, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Just goes to show he didn't go to the college I went to, but because uh, there were unfortunately too many people who were drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, but it wasn't a pretty sight. 
But they were so enthusiastic, so excited about what had happened that they had to tell people. And that word enthusiasm is actually from the Greek entheos, which means filled with God. And that's a good description of they were filled with God, and they had to tell people. And then the crowd started realizing the most amazing thing. There were lots of people there because it was the Feast of Booze, you know, the Pentecost celebration for the Jews. And, and the people would come from all over the Mediterranean world, from places far away as Rome and uh, Parthia, which is near Persia or Iran, um, up in Cappadocia, which would be like Asia Minor, to that part of Egypt belonging to Cyrene. You're all familiar with that part, are you? Still trying to figure out where in the heck is the part that belonged to Cyrene, but um, to Arabs who lived in the Sinai Peninsula, people from all over the place. And they all say, you know, this is amazing. These people are from Galilee and, and, and they speak Latin. I goes, well, wait, they're not speaking Latin. No, they're speaking Greek. Oh, no, they're not speaking Greek. They're speaking Farsi. No, they're speaking Egyptian. Oh, no, they're speaking, you know, they're speaking um, Arabic. And this goes on and on with people going, what do you mean you hear it in that language? And a lot of people get that confused because they think it's the first encounter of the gift of tongues and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But it's not the spiritual gift of tongues that we read about later in Paul. This is something very different than that. Spiritual gift of tongues is is a spiritual language that is um, not English. I mean, it's not any earthly language at all. It's a spiritual language that really is much more like a symphony than anything. But this language was actually in languages they could hear what people were saying. And what we've seen here is it's a reversal of, of the brokenness of the world. Do you remember what happened when everybody could speak the same language? Anybody remember that story? Tower of Babel, yeah. Remember they got together and said they are going to build a tower to heaven? They could go out and be with God? And so God confounds them by, it says, dividing their tongues so that they all speak in different dialects and different languages, and then they couldn't understand each other anymore. And so they, they weren't able to do those things anymore. Well, now it's reversed. And what's even more so, it's not just reversed in that now they all speak the same language. It's now reversed in that they still speak the different languages, but they all understand each other. It's like, you know, in Star Trek, the universal communicator, you know, the universal translator, or if you're more familiar with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's like a babblefish. But I mean, no matter what is said, you understand it. And it tells us a little bit about what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Because I've had people ask me before, what language do they speak in, in the kingdom of God? And I, well, you speak the language you know. Well, does everybody speak English? Well, no. Well, how do they understand? They all just understand. They hear it in their own language. That's what we're seeing here is a reversal of this division, this brokenness of the world that's already started. And what's even more amazing about it is that there, there were like 5,000 people who were converted on that day who came to Christ because they were so excited. I mean, you don't even hear about Billy Graham doing that. 5,000? That's a lot. And it's a remarkable thing that happened because those 5,000 were from all over the Mediterranean world, and when the feast was over, guess what they did? They went home. And they started telling people in their homes about the good news, what God had done in this Jesus. In fact, we know that when Paul got to Rome and Peter got to Rome, there was already a Christian church there. They don't really know who founded it. Nobody knows who started the church in Rome. Might well have been one of the people that were there on that 
that Sunday of Pentecost, the very first one. But somebody was already there proclaiming the good news. So for us today, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be thrust forth and compelled with tongues of fire like the apostles were that day? Because the idea of going out and proclaiming boldly what they knew would get them killed wasn't their idea of a good time when they thought through it. But it certainly came to be something that they embraced. And to start with, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you were, acu- you were so excited about the Lord that you, somebody accused you of being drunk? And it should tell us something. That we aren't that excited? Why are we not excited anymore? You know, it's ho-hum, you know, 2,000 years, who cares? It's just life after death. I mean, no big deal. You know, all my sins are forgiven. Oh, well, you know, so what? And, and we tend to treat the Holy Spirit as though the Holy Spirit were a commodity. You know, and, and you could get, you know, three and a half cups of Holy Spirit or 10 cups of Holy Spirit or a whole gallon of Holy Spirit. or You know, and people treat the Holy Spirit like somehow or other the Holy Spirit's going to give me gifts that I, I want. And some people even go and ask the Holy Spirit for particular gifts, which I really like. You know, and I hate to burst your bubble, but the Holy Spirit isn't Santa Claus either. He doesn't do lists. The gifts that the Spirit gives, the Spirit gives because He chooses to for the building up of the body of Christ. It has nothing to do with what you want. It has to do with what God needs. And our choice is not to say, well, I will open myself up to you, Holy Spirit, as long as you don't give me the gift of tongues, because I don't want to talk like that. Or as long as you don't give me the gift of dancing in church. Or like David did in the, as he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. You know, or some people want those because they're much more exciting. I want the gift of healing. I want to be able to lay my hands on somebody. You know, that kind of thing where you walk up, somebody and go, smack, be healed. And then they fall over and then they're all healed and it's all done. Wouldn't that be great? We just tell the Holy Spirit, this is what I want. Now it's mine. It's my gift, not God's. I own it. And I get to decide when that happens. But God didn't work that way. God gives out the gifts in accordance with his will for his purposes. And all that we can do is open ourselves up. And while, you know, some of the more ecstatic gifts might be more exciting to people, the truth is, is that what would we do if everybody spoke in tongues but nobody could administer anything? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Or if everybody administered things but nobody knew how to teach were the darn. That'd be interesting too, wouldn't it? And yet how often do we see people who teach our children or people who help to administer the church as being gifted by God for that purpose? And yet those gifts are every bit as important, if not more so. And so we need to be willing to open ourselves up so that the Spirit can come and work in us that which He would choose to work, not that which which we want, And what I'll guarantee you is that it will be a surprise. It won't be what you think. It won't be the the thing that you think that that will happen. And he will change you. I'll tell you a story about how he changed me. I remember the first sermon I preached in seminary. And when I was in seminary, you had to, if you could not preach a sermon without using notes, you couldn't graduate because you'd flunk the class and you had to pass that class to graduate. So you had to preach without notes. They gave you four chances to do it through the semester. 
So the first time came up, and I was third, I think, in the rotation of people in, in my particular class. There were about 12 of us in a class. And um, as, as, uh, you know, as I watched my other classmates go up, I realized that, that this, there was a certain amount of um, orderliness to how this worked. The seminarian would get up and preach, and then the other seminarians would swoop in to devour him or her, <laughs> to tell them all their theological errors, all the things that they said wrong, you know, what, how they didn't do it right, how they could have done it better, all those sorts of things. So by the time I got up there, I was already a nervous wreck. And so I got up there and preached for like 20 minutes, and Lord knows what I said. Um, <laughs> and we went back to the room for the critique, as they called it, and the, the other people were about to really, I mean, you could just see, they, they had blood in their eyes. I mean, they were ready to go for it. And the professor says, wait a minute. And he says, Ron, do you have any idea what you said? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, I didn't think so. We'll just call this one practice. <laughs> and he let me go. And yet, today I can stand up and do it. Well, why was that? It wasn't because of me. It was because I opened myself up and said to the Spirit, if you want me to say something, you better come up with something good. And one of the things I've learned in preaching is that Ron Baird's words aren't really important. They're not all that profound or meaningful. The only ones that end up being profound and meaningful are the ones that come from the Spirit. And sometimes they happen to coincide with what I know I said, and sometimes they don't. I can't tell you how often I've, I've been out you know, in the narthex afterwards and somebody's come up to me and said, you know, when you said this, uh, it was like lightning went through me. And I'm thinking, did I say that? I don't remember saying that. And I'll even ask Judy on the way home. I'll say, did you hear me say this in the sermon? She goes, I didn't hear you say that in the sermon. And I've learned over and over again that it's the Spirit who speaks. Sometimes using the words I used and sometimes just saying, ignore that. <laughs> hear this, because this is more important. Every one of us is called to do the work of God. I mean, does anybody believe that the world doesn't need to be healed? If you don't, I have an assignment for you. Just, just watch the news tonight. That should cover it. The world is broken, and they need good news. They need to be transformed. You know, if everyone worked with the one mind of Christ, would we have all these problems? No. It's only when we have these divisions and these selfishness things that go on. And so what we need to learn is how to submit ourselves to the Spirit. And it's not that you need to somehow or other be baptized. Have you ever heard the phrase baptized in the Spirit? I really dislike that phrase, I have to tell you, because I don't know how you can be baptized in the name of the Trinity and not be baptized in the Spirit, because as near as I can tell, the Spirit's part of the Trinity. And even in today's gospel lesson, Jesus tells us, he says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So who is Jesus then? Y'all don't know? We are in trouble. Yeah, he's God. The Father's God. The Holy Spirit's God. So if you've been baptized, you've received the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just because you don't act like it doesn't mean that you haven't received it. Now, that's not to say that what people talk about when they say baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't a real experience, because it is a, a real experience. I just like the way they choose to call it, because it implies everybody else didn't get it. But the reality is, is what's really happened is that that Spirit that lives in them has been stirred up. 
And they become much more conscious and aware of the presence of God in their life. And all of us need to be much more aware and stirred up. You know, sometimes I wonder, are we afraid? You know, are we afraid that if, if, if the Holy Spirit fell upon us, we'd all be dancing in the aisles? Which, in my case, would be really not pretty. Uh, but <laughs> I tell you how much I learned. When I learned to dance in middle school, I, I only learned how to slow dance, and I learned this. You notice all the girls were laughing. They know those guys, don't you? Yeah, that was me. It was hard to dance to Led Zeppelin. What can I tell you? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> For one, have you ever seen the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin? That's me. <laughs> no coordination whatsoever. And, and I have to admit that if Anglos had to act that way, it would be bad because you know, we have the stiff upper lip and all that kind of stuff. And, and we don't really let go of ourselves very easily. But we certainly need to let go of ourselves enough to let God work in us and through us. There's a broken world out there. There are kids who are hurting. There are kids right now who are growing up that will finally give up and take a gun into a school someday. There are kids right now who are growing up that will join a gang or who will sell drugs because they can't find another way. There are parents at home that, that whose relationships are so broken and they don't see any way for it to be healed that need to know that there is a way. And it's not through somebody giving them a magic answer, do this, do that, and do this. It's a person. It's about surrender to Jesus Christ and being of one mind in Christ. A lot of people ask me sometimes how Judy and I have managed to work together for 20 years and I said, well, it's really not hard. I mean, partly because we both have different gifts and, and we both respect the other's gifts. And part of it is that we really try hard to listen to what Jesus is saying. A long time ago, I wanted a big screen TV, high definition TV. And so I prayed about it and prayed about it. And I went to her, I said, I think the Lord really wants me to have a big screen TV because I am stressed out. I work hard and he wants me to have it. She goes, yeah, I haven't talked to me. <laughs> I didn't get very far, did it? So this went on for a few years, actually, and uh, was topic of many a conversation and, and sermons, which also didn't persuade her any. Um, but, and then one day she came to me and said, you know, you keep telling me that you think the Lord wants you to have that TV. And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I've been praying about it. I think he wants you to have it too. I went, really? <laughs> and she goes, yeah. I said, can we go now? <laughs> she said, okay. And so we did. If all marriages worked more about if we don't agree, let's wait until we come to consensus with the Lord, things would be a whole lot easier. If all societies would do that, things would be a whole lot easier. You know, does anybody believe that the problems in Congress couldn't be solved if everybody was working with the same mind? Or the problems in our city or our communities or even our homes couldn't be solved if everybody would work with the same mind and if we'd all realize one thing— we're not in charge. God is. So maybe we need to let him decide. That's what the call of Pentecost is ultimately all about. It's a call for the church to be waiting and open once again to being compelled to go forth, to be enthusiastic, to be filled with the Spirit, to want to change a broken world. And quite honestly, it's the only reason we exist. 
you know, we don't really exist to provide good music or nice places to worship or, you know, good fellowship or any of those things. Those are all just tools that are meant to help us to spread the good news. And if we aren't spreading the good news, then what does it say about us? It's not that there isn't enough, you know, out there for us to go out and into the harvest. There's plenty. The question is, is will we go? Will we say, come Holy Spirit, fill me up with your will, not with your power, with your will, and compel me to do that which you give me to do. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see. Oh, she needs-